2: Welcome back to The Dear Prudence Show once again. And as always, I am your host, Mallory Ortberg, also known as Dear Prudence. I've got two guests in the studio with me today, and I'm very excited to introduce them to you. But first, I want to thank you, the people, the listeners, the readers, the letter writers. Uh, I feel like for the last six months, I have been alternately begging and cajoling people who have previously written in with their problems to send in updates because I'm a very nosy person and I want to know what you did and I want to know if you took my advice or didn't and if your life has subsequently been ruined uh, or if you're still, you know, getting by. And I, this last week, got three different updates from three different letter writers, which was very thrilling, especially because one of the updates was from the bidet couple. Now... (sighs) If you've listened to that episode, you don't need me to refresh your memory because it was the most memorable question that is possible for a person to have. But um, the couple in question, the woman wrote in to me and said her boyfriend had recently gotten a bidet and as a result had said, no more toilet paper. Who needs it? Not even for guests. And she said, you know, I don't always use the bidet and sometimes the bidet is not sufficient for my needs. So I'd sure like to have some form of toilet paper in the house. And this guy was just like here's a hand towel, I guess. But like with no game plan, just like take this towel, do what you need to do. So she was like, how do I convince him that he needs to keep toilet paper in the house? And I was horrified beyond all measure. And I, I, I went on at great length about how he should have toilet paper in the home. Um, and he better be an amazing partner in all other respects. Um, and she wrote back and said, they listened to the episode together, that he was thoroughly chastened, and that he went out and subsequently bought, quote, a metric fuck ton of toilet paper, um, which I'm very grateful for. I don't think it should have come to this. I, I I I wish that it had not taken hearing me say, my man, why are you handing the woman you love a piss towel and no game plan? Um, but that said, you know, sometimes we always need like, takes a little time to to turn around, as the song goes, like. Sometimes you just need help seeing the light. So I'm so grateful that the update to that letter was not, yeah, he listened, but he still feels really strongly that he shouldn't ever have to go to Costco or whatever. Um, and it just really makes me glad to think that future guests to this guy's home will not be like shown to the bathroom and left to their own devices. So thank you for the updates. All the other updates were great, too. That was just the one that I'm going to treasure forever. Um, And now I'd like to welcome our guests, now that they've gotten to hear me talk at length about this. Uh, My guests today are Allie St. James and Olivia Porzia. Allie is a student, a puzzle designer, and a very tired giant nerd who lives in the East Bay with their partner, Olivia, and their two cats. Olivia is a game writer, narratives designer, and recovering scientist. Guys, hi, hello, welcome. Hey. Hey, it's great to be here. Um, Thank you for listening to me talk about the bidet guy.
0: I'm so glad that there was an update to that one. Definitely,
2: I'm gonna like think about him every day for the rest of my life. Yeah, uh, I that's, feel like I'll be that's able, right.
0: I'll be able to sleep better at night now that I have like some closure there.
2: He's a part of who I am. So uh, I have a question about what being a recovering scientist entails. Does this mean like you used to work in a professional capacity as a scientist? Yes, I did. I you know, I actually, or does it mean like you wake campus. up in the morning and you have a hard time like not picking up a beaker? Both. Also, okay. that, like, mostly the former. Oh, I've got to titrate something or I'm gonna freak out.
0: Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. But no, I actually used to work um,
2: here recording. Awesome. Very cool. And I I don't know, are you like a poet now? Like, are you fully recovered to the other side or?
0: Uh, I actually, I spend a lot of time writing science fiction. So I actually yesterday spent most of the day like writing, looking up like scientific solutions to problems. So
2: it comes in handy now and then. So your recovery is like, it's full of relapse. It's
0: full of ups and downs. Yeah.
2: Oh, man. Well, guys, I'm so excited to have you in the studio. It was, it's always really fun to get like two people on the show at once, because then we can really get a fight going. Yeah. Uh-oh. We don't fight. Of course you don't. <laughs> of course you don't.
1: We we actually hashed through all of our answers yesterday when you sent the questions to us so that we would be prepared and we can present like a united front. Oh, my God. Well, that's amazing. Well, maybe there'll be surprises. No,
2: this is great, because now I can look for cracks <laughs> in your unity and try to exploit them and develop a rift between the two of you. Just for the episode, not oh, okay, like great. in life. Um at any rate, yeah, I'm going to try to tear down this unity. That's my goal today. All right. So the first letter uh, is about parents spending money on me, uh, is the subject line, and I'm going to go ahead and read it first. Dear Prudence, I'm 24 and about to move to a new city for grad school. My parents are generously offering to buy me new furniture for my unfurnished room. However, they are inconsistent about whether or not this is a financial burden for them, and the whole thing is really stressing me out. I have no idea if this offer is depriving them or if it's something that they can easily do. And I find that my mother especially is being very controlling about choosing the purchases. Is there a possible outcome where I get the things I want without seeming ungrateful or too demanding? Gotta love financial gifts with strings attached. There well, is so many strings. no
1: possible way to get the thing that you are wanting without any strings attached.
2: Yeah, yeah. I think they have made it pretty clear, especially if they're going back and forth between like, we'd love to get you a dresser. We may not be able to eat for the rest of the month. But as long as you have something to write on, darling, that's all
1: I care about. And it has to be this specific dresser kind of sounds like it might be part of the deal, too. Like, it sounds like the mom really wants to pick what the furniture is, which nobody gets to pick what their furniture is in their early 20s. But that's because we all bought it off of Craigslist for whatever was cheapest.
2: Yeah. So it sounds like you guys are maybe thinking the best solution is just say thanks but no thanks and get a bunch of secondhand furniture off the
1: Internet. I mean, 100 percent. The cheapest way to solve this problem is with your own money i think I think that's the the clearest way to actually getting the furniture that you want. um
0: obviously, that may not be financially viable, but, uh, yeah, it sounds like the parents are giving kind of mixed messages about whether or not this is in fact a financial burden for them and i I feel like it will be simpler to to find furniture on your own if possible,
2: yep, no, I, and I'm always very much of the mindset that if someone is offering you a gift and they seem at all uncertain about it, like. Err on the side of not taking it, exactly. right? yeah. And they don't say in the letter that they absolutely couldn't afford any of it. And I would say, like, you're going to grad school. Embrace the grad school thing. Get, like, one or two secondhand Ikea things. Maybe you'll sleep on a futon for a little while. Um, maybe some friends will – like, there will be other grad students who are getting rid of their old crappy furniture. Yeah. Like, I, I think that any time someone is, like – I want to
1: give this to you, but I also want to choose it, and also this may ruin me. It just sounds... It's best avoided. That's not a good situation to put yourself in, because then you're going to have this hanging over you for, like, the rest of your 20s, at least, about how, oh, I mean... We really wanted to get everybody Christmas presents this year, but uh, we, we, we got you We bought you, you all that, that furniture.
2: We bought that furniture. A giant you'll Fabergé just... egg that you sleep in. <laughs> yeah. And then you'll just
1: have this Fabergé I egg
2: sleep of, of guilt
0: in, in your grad school bedroom.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I, I would say, and this sounds like a little tricky because your parents are already pulling such a guilt trip. If you say, you know what, thanks, but I've actually already got this covered. Their response is probably not going to be like, oh, great. Well, thank you. That's so considerate. Their response is going to be something along the lines of, I can't believe you don't appreciate this. Why won't you let us do this for you? And you should just be prepared for that. Um,
1: we just want to help. Yeah. yeah. And you can
2: just say, like, I appreciate that so much. I'm actually good. I found some stuff that I'm going to use. Yeah. And yeah. just go with the absolute cheapest stuff that you can because this is one of those things that seems really generous but is, in fact, just an ordeal. Yeah. I appreciate that you started with something
1: that was really easy to solve
2: because the answer is very clear. Yeah. I, honestly, I'd rather continue to have an unfurnished room for, like, six months Yeah, uh, <laughs> than deal with like, my mom calling me and saying, like, well, I, I really wanted to go to the doctor this month, but
1: I spent all that money like <laughs> yeah. on your sofa. So
2: that you could sleep at night. Ugh. Get a,
1: get a sleeping bag on clearance at, like, REI or something. It'll be really warm. You'll be fine. Yeah. Basically, anything short of stealing other people's furniture. Oh, but, like, look out for bed bugs, you know, if
2: you're doing yes. second, yeah. If you're picking
0: up furniture off, like, the street that people are leaving outside their apartments, check that
2: for. Definitely. And maybe, like, don't pick that unless it's like all wood or something. cabinets even yeah. then yeah. i think yeah. you're supposed to check it for bed bugs i don't know i'm really afraid of bed bugs i feel like the biggest year for bed bugs was like 2012 and ever since then it seems to have calmed down like i feel like i see fewer articles about how to worry about bed bugs but they might always have another big year yes. yeah they could always come back yes they could awesome all right well uh would one of you care to read this next letter sure awesome sure
0: all right the subject of this one is i abandoned my daughter Dear Prudence, when I was 17, I drank too much at a party, and my family friend Glenn offered to drive me home. Although I don't remember it, I came on to him, and we had sex. When I found out I was pregnant, our conservative parents forced me to marry him. I could never overcome the feeling that Glenn violated me, and I was miserable being married to him. As unfair as I know it was, I never bonded with my daughter. When I was 21, I ran away. I don't have a a relationship with Glenn or our daughter. I'm now remarried and expecting a child with my husband. My daughter, now 17, has reached out to me via email several times. She's understandably hurt and has questions. I don't know what to do or tell her. The truth seems cruel. I don't know how or if I should explain that she's going to be a sister, since I don't feel like she and this baby will be siblings. Am I heartless? What do I owe my daughter?
2: I'm really sorry, by the way, that I went from furniture to this, because there's just... It was a, big, a big, big drop rip-off. off. Yeah.
0: Um, yeah. Uh, this is... I just – I have so much sympathy for this letter writer that – for yeah. for the letter writer and the daughter, like, this is just – this is really rough.
2: Right. And I think what I really want to um, – I, mean, I think the letter writer always – already seems fairly aware of the fact that she was violated. Yeah. Um, but, like, even the fact that she says, when I was 21, I ran away. Yeah. Like, suggests that the situation she was in was not, like, I left, like – we parted ways. like Right. Yeah. Like you were, uh, you know, I mean, you're aware that Glenn violated you, but you say, like, although I don't remember it, I came on to him and we had sex. like Right.
1: Like, that sounds like an abuser's tactic to make this be your fault.
2: I mean, here's the deal. When somebody offers to drive you home because you're too drunk to drive, what they're <laughs> saying is, I'm not too drunk to drive. You're in a position where I know you can't make good decisions for yourself. Trust me to help you. Right. If and you took were, advantage of that. Yeah. If you are driving somebody home, who can't
1: drive, and you then have sex with them. Um, They were not in a position to consent, no matter what, this was some kind of sexual assault. And, like, it sounds like maybe you're not ready to deal with that or you haven't dealt with that, and that's that's okay. You don't have to deal with it right now, but, like— Pretty much everybody in that situation except for you was terrible right. to you. Right, Your parents – it says your, your parents forced you to marry
2: him. Right. Um, and you have clearly been told a version of the story where you came on to him, so therefore it was okay for him to have sex with you. But, like, again, he knew that you weren't okay to drive. Like, right. Exactly. You don't remember it, which suggests you were more than just a little tipsy. Um I think, you know, one of the things that sober people have a responsibility for is if somebody like blackout drunk comes onto you, that's not just blanket permission. That's like, okay, you're not in your right mind. you're not you're not present mo- mentally here. Like, so to just really drive home the point that, like you were raped by someone you thought you could trust and then your family forced you to marry him at seventeen, yeah.
0: And she also doesn't mention whether you know she ever thought about for instance an abortion when this happened but given the parents response to the whole situation i imagine that that was not an option that was made available to her
2: absolutely yeah even like, if it's one cheap even she if would've she would have made of. the same choice it's like she didn't choose to have sex with him she didn't choose necessarily whether or not she wanted to carry the child to term and then she didn't choose whether she wanted to get married so yeah. like you were running away from a series of profound violations
1: right and like i do i feel bad for your daughter because none of that's her fault either But I I think that your actions are fundamentally understandable. And if you can find it in yourself to look at your daughter and realize that she is the same age that this happened to you and therefore probably adult enough to be able to have a relationship with you that's not necessarily, like, parental, Um, if you can, like, kind of find your way to... Not being friends with her, but at least being able to be, like, polite acquaintances with her and give her some of the answers that she's looking for. Like, that would be nice, but you're not obligated. Yeah, and
2: I, I, I'm i actually going to take a slightly different tactic because the letter writer talks about uh, I never bonded with my daughter and, and says, I think that's unfair. And I really don't. Like, yeah. you yeah. were in a hostage situation. Exactly. Like, so- this is – it's – Reasonable, yeah. Your, and, your position is reasonable, and it, and again, like I'm totally with you in the sense that none of this is your daughter's fault, and of course, like she's had her own like pain, painful life experience based on her growing up situation. But I would say um, it's not heartless or unfair that you didn't bond with a child that you nope. didn't seek to have. And to really ask yourself, am I capable right now of having any contact with her? And if the answer is just no, if the answer of, like, emailing her back and not being honest about how you came to be pregnant sounds unbearable, but also the idea of having that honest conversation with a 17-year-old seems unbearable, you, you know, please feel free not to respond. Definitely, like, yeah, definitely. That's sad for her, of course, but it's also, like, you you have to take care of yourself. And it sounds right. like in some ways maybe... You're starting to be aware of how messed up the situation was, but you're not yet able to say, like, I was raped and traumatized and forced into a marriage and I couldn't parent this child right? because I didn't choose to. I didn't want to. I wasn't asked. So I would say for you, letter writer, ask yourself, am I capable of sending that email right now? And if the answer is no, that doesn't make you heartless. It doesn't make you unfair. Um, Does not make you a bad person at all. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, and and I think so. That needs to be your question. Not do I feel guilty about my daughter? Right. Not what do I think that I owe her? Um, just what am I capable of? And like you know, as always, put in a plug for therapy. Definitely, specifically Lots of it. any kind of therapy that focuses on identifying trauma and processing trauma because you've been through a lot. Especially now that like the birth of your next child is coming up, oftentimes that can like put us mentally or emotionally back in a place of.
0: Yeah, and uh, the the letter also mentioned specifically uh, about this, you know, new child that she has. If she's obligated in some way to tell the daughter about that, and, and I think d- definitely not that it, that no. is contingent on on what level of contact you feel comfortable having with her. Mm-hmm. And if you decide to have some level of, of communication with her, then that's up to you to decide. But but you are not obligated to to have any particular like level of closeness there.
2: Right. Yeah. And yeah. Absolutely. You you know you are not obligated to meld these two families together you are not obligated to uh put these people in touch with each other and i think to just bear in mind like if you ever do have contact with your daughter even if it's just to say like Uh, I wasn't able to be a parent to you because I was raped as a teenager and then forced into marriage. That's a lot to say to somebody, especially a teenager. So to have a therapist that you can work through that with and to plan if you do ever want to talk to her and if you do ever want to be honest about why you weren't able to parent her, I think it would be really helpful to you to have a professional who could help you figure out what's like the least damaging way to say this.
1: Yeah, there's no no way to say that to the daughter that's going to be not damaging because right. it's a terrible thing that happened to you. And the kind of entire reason she exists is terrible. And you don't have I, to take on that emotional labor. Right now,
2: yeah, and I, I would just say, like
1: too, like I would say,
2: like the the situation of her conception was terrible. I wouldn't say yes. like the reason that she exists. I know that's not what you're saying. I just yes. want to make sure yes, that's really clear. But yes, yeah, so like potentially any conversation you have with this girl is going to be huge and intense. You don't have to have it right now. You frankly don't have to have it ever. Um, but if you ever do want to, uh, I think it would be really good to spend a lot of time with a therapist first yeah. because you shouldn't have to go through that without any assistance. Like yeah. you shouldn't have to do that by yourself. You did a lot by yourself. In the beginning, and uh, yeah. you deserve help. But, yeah, take your time. Check in with yourself. If you don't feel capable of it, you are not doing anything wrong. Um and I'm really sorry. Yeah,
0: yeah I, I, I wish I wish the letter writer and both of the the children, like in this scenario, all the best. And I hope yeah. that whatever her her new life with this new child is is a much happier one. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And,
2: like congratulations on on being on, about to and have, like, like on a, getting out
0: of that situation. Yeah, that and you were like hopefully into.
2: finding somebody that is like good to be married to and yeah. and having a child that you want. Like that's wonderful. Congratulations! I'm
1: so excited for you. That sounds like it might be potentially like a little bit healing in and of itself. I hope so. Yeah.
2: All right, so the subject line of this next letter is not grieving. Uh, And it's kind of the opposite in the sense that I very much look forward to telling this person, you seem great. You're doing fine. Uh, This is going to be a short answer, I think. So, dear Prudence, my husband recently died in a car accident, and all I can feel is relief. The last five months of our marriage were hell. He was having unprotected sex with strangers and taking thousands of dollars out of our savings account without a word to me. I found out after he died that he was planning on taking a second mortgage out on our house. He would lie to me, scream at me, and slam doors when I confronted him with the truth. We had a whirlwind romance and got married after knowing each other for six months. I moved across the country for him. My parents didn't approve and actually refused to come to my wedding, saying they couldn't, quote, condone my mistake. We'd recently started speaking again, but I still haven't breathed a word about the truth of my marriage to anyone. My family, my friends, and my in-laws all believe we were happy and very much in love. I don't know if I loved him or hated him, I'm just so glad that he's gone. He's dead and I'm free, and I don't know what kind of person that makes me. The money from his life insurance policies means that I can pay back everything he took and still come out ahead. I find myself counting down the days until all the details of his death are done, so I can leave, even while I do everything a grieving widow should. Does this make me a bad person? I feel sorry for his parents and siblings, and I didn't want him dead. I just wanted him gone, and now he is, and I don't have to go through a divorce or crawl back home with my tail between my legs." I feel like I'm floating through all this. I am more worried about how I should feel than how I am feeling. Is there something broken in me? Let's all say it together.
1: No! No! (laughs) You're fine. You're not a bad person. You're not a bad person at all. You sound like you're a person who maybe was being abused. And now you're free. Yeah, you are not Barbara Stanwyck in Double Indemnity. Like, it sounds like you... I mean, you you say explicitly, like, you didn't want him dead, and you're just glad to be free, and I think that that's fair. Yeah,
2: and and, and I also want to be really clear. You
1: may continue to have really complicated feelings. Yeah, like the grief might come to you at some point, and it will be weird. Yeah, yeah, and you may go through different parts where you're
2: angrier, because you'll feel like, I didn't get a chance to, like, really stick it to him. You may also feel times when you feel relief. You may feel guilty. Like, you're going to... Possibly go all over the map, and that's fine.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But like, this- clearly clearly, he was a at least good enough at pretending to be a good person for a little while to have this whirlwind romance with you. And, like, if you experience some sadness later on, like, that's normal. You can be grieving the relationship that you wanted to have, even if you— are not grieving him specifically.
2: Right. And and I, I just want to say, too, like, sometimes we can sort of do little gut checks to say, like, am I a bad person? And the fact that you feel sorry for his parents and siblings suggests to me that you are probably a good person. Like, yeah. you're aware that he was a, you know, he was like all of us, complicated and multifaceted and was capable of not being an ass all the time. Um, but you're you're also personally relieved that you don't have to... Hear a bunch of "I told you so"s, or go mm-hmm. through a messy divorce, and that doesn't mean that you killed him or that uh, you're a bad person. But yeah, you know, oddly and uncomfortably, his death is convenient for you. Yeah, yeah. That's that's just reality. Yeah,
0: and and that's that's weird and and awkward. But you're feelings about that are kind of yours to have. Yeah. And and they they may be complicated and they may take a long process, but if, if you are still feeling this same way six months or a year from now, that's that's okay. Yeah. If you are feeling other things along the way, that's okay, too.
2: So that said, let's throw another plug for therapy. Oh, yes. Definitely. Because, you know, and you don't have to, I, I don't know what your relationship with your family is like. Um, I,
1: it sounds like it, it might not, not great. be great since they refused to come to her wedding. And she describes it as, like, not having to slink home with like her tail between her legs. Right, right. Yeah, and I don't know like maybe there were enough red flags
2: during their courtship that her family was like we're just really concerned for you. I don't know, but you don't have to tell anyone right now. Right. But as you continue to get treated like a widow, the like disconnect you're going to be feeling between saying like thank you and accepting everybody's like condolences versus inside feeling like but I'm not sad, you're going to feel totally alienated and bonkers and Definitely. you should see a therapist just so there's at least one person in your life who can't tell anyone else. Yeah, and
0: also The letter writer mentions that, like, she never told or I don't know if we know the letter writer's pronouns. They never told anybody during the marriage, like friends, family, like own family or the husband's family, like. How things were that everybody seems to have thought that this was a happy marriage. So there's still all of that that yes. you have yes. not been able to talk about with anybody, I, and that would be really helpful to. to I think I
2: would to not tell
1: through. the husband's family at this point. Oh, that ever. seems awful. No. Don't no. ever tell they them. They're your former in-laws. They don't. They let them think that their son died and was happy. There, that's just not information that they could do anything with. Exactly. There's, there's nothing to do about it. Right. So just kind of let that sit. And I personally wouldn't tell your family either because it sounds like they would kind of hold that over your head and maybe be jerks about it. Yeah. But that's up to you.
2: You know your family. I would say give yourself time. Yeah. Definitely talk about it with a therapist, a grief counselor. And I would encourage you at some point to share with like a friend that you trust who's maybe not connected to your family. Something like, you know, before he died. We were going through a really difficult time, and I feel really complicated about that because I can't really share that with people, um, and I just want you to know that. So, like, you don't necessarily have to give the, like, nitty-gritty details to everybody, but you can absolutely, in time, share with one or two close friends and maybe at some point with your family, if you ever feel like you want to, an edited version that's not necessarily, like, a laundry list of everything he did to you, but you You can, if you want to, say, like, we were going through a really difficult time um, or we were having money problems or he was cheating on me. And you you can say those things. Yeah. You don't have to say, like, and I'm glad he's dead and I feel like a monster. Right. Figure out the version that you'd feel comfortable sharing. Would it be helpful to you to tell other people you're not admitting to something wrong? I don't think anyone would hear that and say, wow, you monster – you're a bad person if you said, like, before my husband died, he was cheating on me. And it's really hard for me to talk about.
1: Right. You yeah. don't have to protect his legacy in that way by, like, not being open about stuff that he did to you if you want to be open about that stuff.
0: Yeah. um you, When we were reading this yesterday, actually, you noticed this, that um the letter mentions that when they got married— Um, They actually moved across the country. Yeah. So there might not even be too many close friends around for you right now. Um, So if there are or if they're somewhere, somewhere, you know, across the country, wherever home is, like, this would be a a good chance to reconnect with them, maybe. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yep, yep. And, uh, you know, again, you talk about, like, you feel like you're floating. Nobody knows the truth. Like, this all sounds like kind of the hallmarks of the disorientation and sense of surreality that can come from the grieving process, which is not necessarily the grief that comes from I'm so sad he's dead. It's the grief that comes from the person I married was not the kind of guy I thought he was. And then he died. And nobody knows the truth. Like, those are some big... Soap opera level intense plot twists, right? Yeah. Like, it's, like it's it's, it's, a it's a reasonable to have
1: grief about this. Yeah, and you you need to
2: talk to somebody about this. Like it's not good to go through life thinking nobody knows the reality of my interior life. Like <laughs> that's painful, and and yeah. it makes you feel totally isolated. And you shouldn't have to feel that way. Yeah, especially
0: not when you're going through all of this right
2: now. Right. I, I feel like – because they weren't saying – the letter writer was not saying, right, like, do I ever have to tell anyone? That wasn't what they were asking. But I feel like that right. was sort of implied with that sense of, you know, I wanted him gone and now he is and now everything's kind of working out with the implication sort of like, if I just never talk about this again, will everything be fine? And I think that that might make you feel, like, good at first but would eventually make you feel really like – just like a balloon floating up into the sky. Yeah, Definitely. Yeah,
0: I I agree. Yeah. um I, I feel like – if, if there is a point with people who you're comfortable with where you can be to at least some extent open about what that marriage really was like for you, I think that would definitely help make you feel a bit more connected to those people and, and a bit more grounded um, rather than knowing that everyone kind of around you and in your life is is walking around with this very strong conception of what that part of your life was like that is is very different from your reality.
2: Yeah. All right. So in keeping with the theme of sharing what's going on with us. The next letter is about how to get friends to open up, uh, how to reciprocate emotional disclosures, and I would love for one of you to read that. All
0: right. Uh, I can next one. Um The subject is Emotionally Reticent Best Friend. Dear Prudence, I have a friend who is not good at expressing vulnerability. We've been best friends for three years, and only once has she opened up to me about traumatic life experiences, and only then because we forced ourselves to talk about emotions by playing feelings roulette other questions there um she never asks for emotional support even for very small issues though she's great about giving me support when i need it her reticence makes me feel uncomfortable awkward and needy when i express vulnerability to her it also makes me unsure about the state of our relationship like we're not as good of friends as i want us to be though i know that she considers me her best friend and loves me deeply obviously i don't want to pressure her into sharing more than she's comfortable with but the current state of affairs makes me really unhappy i want to be even closer with her i want to help her to demonstrate my love for her by giving her emotional support and care when she needs it I want her to be vulnerable with me. What can I do? What is feelings roulette? That was my first question. I have I have no idea. My only
1: reaction to this letter was that it was a letter about me. <laughs> I just I
2: I really really hope that it is nothing like Russian roulette because if a gun was involved to force anyone to share it dis- I don't think that's what it was. I'm sure it was a version of like Spinning something. I'm, or I'm imagining
0: a coin like an emotion wheel mm-hmm. that has just like different difficult emotions written on it, and then you spin it. And
2: pick I just it to want to throw it out there that like I have never heard of that game. Same. If it's helpful to you to play that game, that's great. I'm just a little nervous about the specifics of how it
1: is played. I feel like it would be maybe a really, like a really good tool in a learning how to do improv class. Maybe. Yeah. Okay. So you thought this letter was about you. Kind of, yeah. I am definitely the emotionally reticent friend in pretty much all of my friendships. Mm -hmm. Um, So, like, I had two really big thoughts about this, which is one, um, the letter writer might benefit from, uh, like, going and looking a little bit at – I I heard about it on Captain Awkward first, but I feel like it's probably in a lot of places like the ask versus guest culture kind of thing. So your friend might not be sharing – because she wants you to ask her questions about herself. Um, She doesn't feel comfortable providing that information unless you are expressly requesting it. Um, But also, maybe you are doing the amount of, like, emotional support, and she's giving you as much vulnerability as she's going to give you. Like, some people just don't have that much to give, and we are not that deep.
2: Yeah, I— I, I'm kind of of two minds about this letter as well, because on the one hand, I think it's always really good uh, if you're kind of just aware of, oh, there seems to be a little bit of a one-way street in this friendship. I want to make sure my friend knows that I'm here for them if they need, like, emotional support or any sort of reciprocation. But, um uh, you know, the letter writer says, only once has she opened up to me about traumatic life experiences, which I don't think
1: you should be pressing anyone to talk no. about. No, people get to share their trauma with you or not as they decide to do. And, like, it's not a measure of how close of friends you are, how much you know about, like, their traumatic backstory. You you can be really close friends and know almost none of that. Yeah. And it's also entirely possible that she does not have a lot of
2: traumatic life experiences. True. And, like, true. pressing her to kind of manufacture or play up them in order for you to feel reciprocation, that's not okay. So yeah, I, I hear some people manage to make it to adulthood with almost none. Yeah, it happens. And, uh, you know, certainly I don't think you should – and again, I, I don't want to read too much into this letter. I'm not saying like, oh, you definitely have a friendship that's based on trading trauma as currency.
1: But, uh, you know, I think that is something that you can and should let go of. Right. It sounds like maybe that's how the letter writer has felt Really emotionally intimate with other friends in the past, and so wants to kind of project that onto this friendship. And that just might not be who you are, and you can still be best friends without that. Right. So, you know, you say you want to be even closer with her, you want to demonstrate your
2: love for her. And you want to help her. And I feel like those first two things are not actually connected with the third. Agreed, agreed. Like, the first two things are about you. And Mm -hmm. again, that doesn't make you a monster. Like, I really want to make it clear. You do not sound like a horrible friend who's just, like, pressing somebody too hard. You are not Lucy Snow, which is always, like, (laughs) the worst thing a friend could possibly be. Um, But who's, by the way, not a real person. This is a fictional character um, from Sense and Sensibility. I'm not just, like... Yeah. Complaining In-print about sign it. Um But yeah, so those first two things are I want to be closer and I want to demonstrate my love for her, which is like it's okay to feel those things, but maybe not okay to let them dictate your actions. Yeah. Because basically what you're saying is the way she communicates doesn't meet my
1: emotional needs, and I want to push harder for that. Right. Like she – showing your love for her might be doing the things that you are already doing in this friendship. Right. And I think you need to
2: trust – that she shares with you as much as she wants to. And you can absolutely say, like, that doesn't mean this is off limits as a topic. You can absolutely say, you know, I know there's an imbalance in terms of how much we share with each other. I hope that I'm not, like, being too needy and and overwhelming you. I hope that you would let me know if I ever do because I don't want to overwhelm you. Um, And I just want you to know I'm always here if you need to uh, ask for emotional support or talk about things. But if that's just not how you're wired, if that's not what you need – I don't want to push for that either. Yeah. That's a conversation you can have. But Definitely. the whole, like, how do I get her to share more trauma with me? How do I get her to ask for emotional support more? If she's not wired that way, if that's not something that interests her, if that's not something she wants to do, you have to take her word for that.
0: Yeah, if, if what you really want at the end of the day is to make sure that you are being as there for her and as supportive for her as she is being for you, sharing traumas with you and confiding in you, you know, the details of her feelings or her day-to-day life are not necessarily things that are required for that that just may not be support that she needs from you
2: and that's okay yep and if you can get that in other relationships that's great if you get that from a therapist that's fabulous um but i do think some of the stuff you can talk about with her and some of this you do need to work on letting go on a regular basis and um yeah yeah you can always say like i love it when you're vulnerable with me I, i appreciate it but you you know like i have a really great friend who is like that too like she'll tell me a year later like oh, I had this really intense health scare. And, like, in my head, I'm like, oh, man, like, I wish I'd known. I wish there was more that I could have done. And like I have to realize, like, she doesn't want that. That makes her feel stressed out and overwhelmed. And she wants to tell me this now. And, like, that's cool. Yeah. We're different like that. Yeah. I always love telling people, like, I stubbed my toe. <laughs> like, I am all about emotional disclosures. and like, I need Gatorade. Someone bring it to me. And sometimes they do. And so I think the Audrey just was, like, pressing a level button. I just yelled really <laughs> loudly about Gatorade. So
0: that wasn't the bring in a Gatorade
2: button. No, no. no. I, I've already been brought bottled water. That's pretty good. All right. Last one is about dogs. Because every once in a while I just like to wade into opinions about dogs on the Internet. You aren't getting enough trolls Very lately. Very fulfilling. Um, not. just like everyone has really strong feelings about dogs, especially, and um, about how other people's pets should be cared for. Everyone's got strong dog opinions and neighbor's pet opinions, so every once in a while I just have to lay down the law. Okay. Subject of this is neighbor's dog won't shut up. Dear Prudence, my neighbors have a dog that barks incessantly. They leave this dog outside when they go away. One year, they went on a week-long vacation, and the dog barked from morning until midnight every day until the person they had watching it came to bring it inside. After two days of that, I had to go spend the rest of the week at my sister's place. I spoke with my neighbors about it. They apologized, and for about two weeks it got better. And then it was back to square one. This pattern of complaint and brief remedy has been going on for years. You're probably wondering whether I've reported it. Here's the rub. The husband is a prominent attorney for the city, so I'm fairly certain nothing will be done if I were to complain about it formally. I've finally paid off my home and have no desire to move, but also no desire to lose my mind from the constant barking. I've tried those sonic anti-bark remotes on the dog to no effect. Any thoughts? Some.
1: Some thoughts. (laughs) Hit me with them, baby. Uh, Okay, first thought... Not doing anything is definitely not getting anything done. So, like reporting the dog to whatever kind of like presumably noise ordinance, I would thing? I would assume the ASPCA or something like that. Yeah, like n- not doing that is not working. So, possibly try doing that. Yeah, I, I don't feel like the fact that one of the owners is a lawyer
0: is is really a f- factor here. Like, yeah, I, I can vaguely imagine. That, I don't know. Some it sounds like a, kind of a. Very dramatic TV scenario in which, like, his... his, Don't you
2: know who I am? Exactly. Yeah.
0: Where where that would prevent, you know, uh, anything from being done. But, but it can't hurt. It's not like he's going to sue you for, like, libel because you told someone that his dog was being loud. So yeah, I think first step, like, sure, go ahead and report it. Like, there's nothing bad that can come of that.
2: Yeah. I, I would say, number one, I would talk to the neighbors again. Yeah. Right? And I would say, like, you guys may not know this. Um, because it sounds like you've only mentioned it once, although you do say there's a, ba- a pattern of complaint yeah, It sounds remedy. like it's, so, been, it's been happening maybe. multiple times. Okay, maybe you have talked about like, So, yeah, if they are aware that this happens every day yeah. and they just don't care, um, like, that's not good for the
1: dog. I do want to know, though, what the neighbors are doing when you talk to them and it stops for a while and then it starts back up, like –
2: I mean, part of it is just, like, presumably if
1: they're not home, they're not home, so they don't really think about it. True. But, like, if the dog is quiet for a little while after you talk to the neighbor, like, I want to know. Right, what was working? What was working and why did they stop doing it?
2: Yeah, so I don't know. You would know that. We don't. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's not good for a dog to be barking for 12 hours on end. Like, that's right. not a happy, well-taken-care-of dog. Right, that dog's got anxiety. or Or is, like, being, you know, insufficiently, like— Played with, interacted with. Yeah, something's not right. I think this is why doggy daycare was invented.
0: This definitely seems like a dog that that needs more people around during the day than right. it's than it has access to. Right.
2: So if there's any way that you know what worked for a while, certainly, you know, bring it up with your neighbors again. But heck yes. Like, you know, call your city's non-emergency line, call animal services. They're not connected with the city's legal department, right? Like, I yeah. think sometimes people think like, oh, it's all connected to the city. So any city employee is necessarily going to be able to like pull some strings. And I think that's not the case. Like, yeah.
0: I feel like those things are more. He's
2: not a lawyer for dogs,
0: you know? Like (laughs) that would be so great.
2: That would be incredible. Yeah. I would say make the report. Because usually what happens when you call animal services is not they immediately come grab the dog and, like, throw it in a. What's the word of the place where they keep dogs? Can- Shelters. Shelter? Yeah. yeah. Like, they will come out. They'll pay a visit. They'll check the dog's living area. They're going to ask questions. And, yeah. like, they'll make a recommendation. So, you know, it's not like making that call. You are going to be either, like, having the dog taken away permanently or have it put down or something. Like, it's a, it's a step. They have processes that they go through. But, yeah, call, make the report, and say, like, this dog is barking, like, 12 hours a day. It's left alone all the time. Like, apparently, they leave the dog outside every day, which, like... You know, there are certain laws in different cities. Like, it may be that he doesn't have enough
1: water. It may be that he doesn't have enough room to run. Like, right. Like, depending on the yard and the climate where you live, like, that may or may not be fine. Yeah. So, yeah. Call. Uh, do something. Um, but also just you're going to have to move. Oh, sure. You think that that what if, what if the new house has a dog that barks? Oh, I know. God, that'd be awful. I know. But, no, but I like, just, I, don't, I don't know. It feels like this might end up being one of those unsolvable kind of situations to me in the end. I mean the dog do, will eventually die. Uh, yeah, are you willing to wait the <laughs> next like 15 to 20 years? They said this has been going on for years. So, okay, maybe well, the dog's maybe it's already, only like 10.
2: Yeah. But like um, still. I don't I don't encourage
1: you to kill the dog by no, the way. No, no, way. Don't oh, don't you you no. Don't kill the dog. You do not have our permission to kill this no, dog. Definitely not. Um I feel like in your situation, I would probably like in my heart to myself swearing at the dog because I was so frustrated. I'd be like, oh, I wish I could kill the dog, but I wouldn't kill the dog. That'd yeah, be awful. It's not the dog's fault. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's not the dog's fault. And I think that that's also the important thing to remember. It's not the dog's fault. Yeah. But, yeah,
2: call, the, call animal services and also check your city's noise ordinance laws because yes. I'm sure Yeah, homeowners and small towns being what they are there are laws about how long your dog is allowed to bark before the city gets to say you have to do something. Yeah, but, yeah. but
0: I, I do definitely feel like there is a possible outcome here where you contact, you know, the appropriate department in the city and you talk to the neighbors again. And the, you know, animal services or whoever comes assesses that, you know, this dog is, is in good health. It just, it just barks a lot or is kind of anxious and makes recommendations that, that your neighbors don't do anything
2: about that. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So, yeah. Um,
2: And then you get to decide, like, do I want to kind of get on my neighbor's case about it? Is that something that I'm willing to do? Or does that feel not worth it? Would I rather just spend less time at home? Would I consider moving, um, bearing in mind that I may very well move someplace that gets a dog, like, next door the next day? Yeah. Um, That would just be the worst. (laughs) And that's just part of, like, living in a society is, like, sometimes there's noises and it sucks. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But, yeah, like. Are you willing to escalate it all with your neighbors? It sounds like you've brought it up occasionally, but, like, if you make the call, if somebody comes out, if they're, like, you're violating this in this noise ordinance, and they're, like, eh, we don't care. Like, you can figure out if you want to, like, again, kindly, not, like, cussing them out, but you can say, like, here is how long your dog barks every day. It drives me crazy. I'm worried about its safety. You know, here is something that worked in the past. For the love of God, do something. Yeah. yeah. And then in your head, add, you jerks, because. Yeah. I don't know. If someone tells me my dog's barking,
1: like, all day. I right, would feel awful. I feel yeah. bad. I mean, I know dogs bark sometimes, but if someone was like... Right. Like, I, I think it's unreasonable to live near other people as, who may or may not have dogs and expect their pets to never make noises. Mm-hmm. But, like, a continuous also, 12 hours a day.
2: I just have a question about, like, the dog was barking when they went on vacation for a week from morning until midnight while a person was watching it.
0: Well, so what that sounded like to me was that they had someone coming by to, like, let the dog out in the morning. Yeah. And then come in, come at night and, like, put the dog back in. Because it showed that the dog would bark until the person watching it came to, like, let it Until
2: inside. midnight, which, again, is like, I, I this thought, is a lousy dog sitter.
0: Yeah. Either that or maybe... A little bit of, like, uh, it felt like morning until midnight
2: more than, like, literally was. But so <laughs> they, they did say literally. And as we all know, no one ever uses literally when they mean figuratively. <laughs> I don't know. True, like, I true. believe that this letter writer has been. Oh, I believe that yeah, they figured them out a lot. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 But, yeah, oh. these people kind of sound like indifferent dog owners. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I always wish people knew, like, owning a dog is super
1: optional. You don't have to do it. That's true. It's a lot of work for, frankly, not that much reward. That's true. Like, if you. If you don't want to, like, love and cherish that dog, maybe you should not be in possession of that dog. Yeah. So – but we can't retroactively – we can't go back
2: in time and make these people not get a dog. Um, Yeah. But I I think do some other things. um, And only if none of them pan out at all do you start thinking about is it worth it to me to move? Is it worth it to me to soundproof my house? Is it worth it to me to – I don't know. Yeah. I feel
0: like like there are hopefully some intermediate steps in there in between – you know, immediate action is not working and moving, but it's 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 worth considering, like, if the neighbors don't do anything, kind of how long can you endure this before you maybe yeah. need to start thinking about. Yeah. yeah. And, how, else. Know,
2: and I always want to, like, throw in a plug for, like, a full War of the Roses situation where it's like, you know, maybe you want to get a T-shirt cannon. And start firing it off in your backyard. Oh, I was going to say, get
0: another larger and louder dog. Oh my god!
2: <laughs> just like a, like they're playing Risk, but with buying dogs. Yeah. So like, eventually, yeah. each yard is just full of dogs. Yeah.
0: That's probably not a good. No, don't, idea. please don't do that. Yeah. Um, for both these current neighbors' sake and the sake of everyone else living on yeah, your, yeah, your other, please neighbors. don't do that. Don't yeah. be. Don't become uh, that which you hate. Yeah.
2: But, well, yeah. my friends, thank you so much <laughs> uh, for helping us. Tell the people how to live. No problem. Thanks for listening to Dear Prudence. Our producer is Audrey Dilling. Our theme music was composed by Robin Hilton. If you want me to answer your question, call me and leave a message at 401-371-DEAR, that's 3327, and you might hear your answer on an episode of the show. You don't have to use your real name or location, and at your request, we can even alter the
1: sound of your voice. Keep it short. 30 seconds, minute, tops.
2: Can you ever, by the way, when I say alter the sound of your voice, can you alter it so that it sounds like a robot? That would make me very happy. If you're looking for more great shows from Slate, check out the Slate Political Gab Fest. It's hosted by Emily Bazelon of The New York Times Magazine, John Dickerson, host of CBS's Face the Nation, and David Plotz of Atlas Obscura. And it's the kind of informal and irreverent discussion Washington journalists have after hours over drinks. Stephen Colbert himself called it a must-listen. That's the Sleep Political Gabfest. Find it at sleep.com slash gabfest or wherever you get your podcasts. Damn it, Audrey! I am a professional! It's the Kia Summer Sticker Sales Event, so give your friends something to look at. Like a B&B with an ocean view. An endless field of wildflowers.